I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening, and we're going to be sitting back and talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds, and of course it was game one of their four-game set that started this afternoon at Great American Ballpark, and of course this is also the first holiday of the summer, Memorial Day. Hope you had a good one, and let's bring in our resident Reds expert and victorious in game one this afternoon, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm great, Dave, and uh, as I was saying to you before we went on the air, I wonder if uh, Swisher's uh, life flashed before his eyes today in <laughs> that ninth inning, but we can get into that a little few, in a few minutes. Well, I'll tell you what, that that had to be scary. I wanted to bring some clips of what Swisher had to say after the game, but unfortunately, neither of the websites for the Reds or the Indians uh, went into detail about what Swisher had to say after the game. I did hear it, but I didn't get a chance to put it on tape and, and bring it to tonight's show, but we'll go over that. I'm going to go over game one here in just a moment, but Mark, of course, we've got to thank all our, our veterans and, of course, all our uh people that we've lost being that this is Memorial Day, and it was a very special day at Great American Ballpark today. It was. And, you know, I've got to, uh, I guess, congratulate Major League Baseball. They do that right around the country at these home games, and uh, it, it really is, is very touching. And uh, I know that the soldiers appreciate it, and I know over the last few years we've gotten emails from people uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and people forget how much baseball means when you're when you're out of the country, and it's great that they have that to to link on to, and uh, I concur. Uh, best wishes to all the servicemen, and and thank you for your service. Well, and you're right. You know, I especially say a lot that Major League Baseball does wrong. I know we've talked about several things that we think are wrong with Major League Baseball, Mark, but there are certain things that they do right, and today is one of them. Uh got to be honest, I wasn't crazy about the hats that they were wearing down in Cincinnati today, but the rest of the festivities around the ballpark were, were outstanding. Yes, and I've been to a couple of those games on Memorial Day, and they do do it right, and the Reds do it right. And, you know, it's... Uh, at times like that, when you go to a stadium and, and they're and they're singing "God Bless America" or "America the Beautiful," whatever it might be at, at that particular game, or the Star Spangled Banner, you know it's a beautiful day. Uh, Forty-two thousand people in the stands. Uh, we have so much to be grateful for that we can take a day and, and just devote it to baseball and not have to worry uh, about our country falling apart. Or, or sometimes we just don't remember how lucky we have it in this country. And I'm not trying to get overly emotional about it, but uh, if you travel around the world like I have and you see other places, I'll tell you what, you're awful damn happy to get back to the USA when, no matter where you go. Well, yeah, as many problems as we've got in this country, we're still head and shoulders above the other places around the world. Hey, uh, we've got some uh, questions that are going to come up tonight, Mark, on our Ask Us segment. Matter of fact, I know... We've got a large listenership tonight because I posted on Facebook that we'd be talking about the Nick Swisher or all this Chapman incident, and boy, did I get some feedback on that. So I know a lot of people are going to be listening. But you can get a hold of us just by sending in an email to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can give us a tweet at ohbbcohost or at altsportstalk. Those are our Twitter addresses. You can also send us an email to dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. But, hey, before we get into this afternoon's ballgame, Mark, I'll tell you what, the Reds are on a great run right now. 13 of their last 15 games are wins. They've won six of their last seven, seven of their last ten. They're only a game and a half behind the Cardinals, and they're playing some great baseball right now. Yeah, that's amazing. You mentioned they've, what, 13 out of 15, and the two games they lost, they had a 4-1 to lead in the eighth inning, and a two-to-one lead in the ninth inning and lost both those games and the bullpen spit the bit. But aside from that, the bullpen's been solid gold all year. And, you know, the Reds, I tell you, they're doing this without their number four hitter. Imagine how many teams could be without their number four hitter, be without their their number four outfielder in uh, Chris Heisey, 
be without their number one starter for I think he missed six or seven starts. Uh, their their number one lefty out of the bullpen is on the DL for the second time. They have an out, a, a third baseman hitting 230, a shortstop hitting 225, and they're playing lights out. And I, I'm anxious to see what happens when they get all their pieces back because this could be a fun year for Reds fans. Well, regardless of the outcome of this afternoon's game and what happened in the ninth inning, and we will be getting into the Chapman Swisher incident. Uh, the Reds did beat the Indians this afternoon in game one of the four-game set. There's two games in Cincinnati, two games in Cleveland. And the Reds won the first one this afternoon, 4-2. to two. They'll play again tomorrow night. But the game started with a bang for the Reds and former Indians outfielder, now Reds leadoff man, Shinsu Chu, as he led off the bottom of the first inning. In the air, hit well. In the left field, that ball will carry out of here. A home run is first at bat against the Indians. Well, you know he's got to be mighty excited with that. Well, he shows power to all fields, and this one says, hey, hi, hello, and welcome. Cleveland to Cincinnati. Well, that was the uh, first at-bat Chu had against his old team, and, of course, it was that a home run that gave the Reds the one nothing lead, which lasted until the fourth inning when the Indians tied things up, thanks to an error by Brandon Phillips and a sacrifice fly by Carlos Santana. The Reds then regained the lead in the sixth inning thanks to a double by Zach Cozart, and it was Phillips who then redeemed himself. In the air, right center field. Preparing for the throw is Stubbs. They're going to send the runner. Here comes the throw to the plate, and it bounces away from Santana. Cozart scores. They get him on, they get him over, and they get him in. Then in the eighth inning, with one out, Tribe manager Terry Francona rolled the dice as he brought up Jason Giammi to pinch hit against Mike Leake. There's a long fly ball. Deep center field. Back is two. He's out of room. It's out of here. Jason Giammi. A pinch hit solo home run to tie the game at two. That's how you snap an 0 for 24. Giambi was in an 0 for 24 slump, but he was due. That seemed to awaken the Indians from their doldrums. However, recently brought up Nick Hagedon, started the eighth inning after an outstanding outing by Ubaldo Jimenez. Hagedon gave up a base hit to Chu, and then Cozart bunted him to third base. That brought up Joey Votto to the plate with the game in his hands, and he didn't let the sellout crowd down. In the air, left center field. Drifting back to the wall, Bradley, goodbye! That was Joey Votto's home run. He's been hitting, let's just say it, he's been hitting Mark the crap out of the baseball in May. <laughs> that's, that's not very poetic, David, but it's very accurate. <laughs> I, I don't know how much better a guy could hit, you know. And of course, this afternoon after the ball game, after this four-two Reds win, uh, everybody was saying that it was a mistake by Terry Francona to even pitch to Joey Votto. That he should have walked Votto and brought up Brandon Phillips and pitched to him. But you know what? The Reds lineup may not be very good, but those two guys back to back are very good. Yeah, and and you know that's all second guessing stuff. I mean, you have a left hand pitcher who's throwing 95 miles an hour today against a left hand hitter. Now you're supposed to walk him and pay, and face a right hand hitter who leads the league in RBIs. I mean, you damned if you do, damned if you don't. If they if they do walk Votto and face. Brandon Phillips and he hits a three-run home run or even a sacrifice fly. They're going to say, why'd you do that? You had a left-hander against a left-hander. Uh, yeah, but they forget that left-hand hitter is Joey Votto. And I'll tell you what, his his approach to hitting is unlike anything I have seen since Peter Edward Rose. And the difference is that Pete Rose was 5'10 and about 200 and Joey Votto is 6'3 and 225. And but he is he is the best hitter I, I have seen in, in, in my lifetime at every plate appearance. This guy focuses unlike anybody I've ever seen. And 
the fact he's a left-hand hitter, uh, you know, most of the great hitters we have in the history of baseball are left-handed because they face right-handers all the time. And Joey Votto right now is so dialed in that I don't think anybody can get him out on a regular basis. Well, and I know Nick Hagedon is not going to get him out because Nick Hagedon has been up and down like an elevator between Columbus and Cleveland. He was just brought up this morning because Chris Perez is on the DL with that sore shoulder, and we'll get into that. But there's a lot of stuff, Mark, that we've got to get into. Let's just get into the the prime thing that happened in the ninth inning where Araldus Chapman just, I mean, just blatantly threw at Swisher. I don't think the first one he threw at him where he, it was over his head, I don't think that was a, a a purpose pitch. I think that one just got away from him. But the second one, there was absolutely no doubt he was throwing at Swisher's ear, and I just don't understand why. Well, I, I've heard three theories down here in Cincinnati. They, they talked about it after the game. And I'm not sure I believe any of them. Uh, actually, there was four. One theory is he wasn't throwing at him. He, pitch, he wanted to come inside, and it got away. Uh, the other theory is that the Reds pitching coach, uh, Price, has been telling him, guys are just teeing off on you because you don't come inside. And, you know, he gave up two home runs last Sunday, cost him the game, and he lost. He blew a save the week before because these guys are digging in, and he comes down the outside corner all the time, and sometimes the pitch will drift over to the middle of the plate. And you've got, when you're throwing 103 miles an hour, you've got to take the inside corner of the plate. So they're telling him, Araldus, pitch inside. If you hit a guy, you hit a guy. Pitch inside. Now, the other theory was uh, that did you see the way that Swisher, after that pitch went over his head and hit the backstop, the first one, he, he was glaring out at Chapman. And basically Chapman got pissed and said, okay, uh, I wasn't trying to hit you now, but watch this. And then the, the fourth theory was that this dates back last year. If you remember in the game in Cleveland last year when uh, your shortstop hit the game-winning home run in the ninth inning, Apparently, things were said uh, as he was rounding the bases and, and all that stuff, and apparently Chapman had not forgot it. I mean, that, th those are the four theories, that he, up to an accident, he didn't mean to do it, he was aiming for him, uh, payback from last year, or he was just pitching inside. You know, take your, take your pick of what it was, but I'll tell you what, if Chapman starts getting an attitude, and he does come inside, and he pushes guys off the plate, uh, he's going to be awfully hard to hit. Well, the craziest one I heard was the fact that uh, Chapman didn't like Swisher being married to a Cuban Cuban girl. That, <laughs> that was the craziest one I heard today. Yeah. Um, okay. That wins. <laughs> yeah that that one that one was the craziest. Okay. First of all, I have absolutely no problem with Chapman throwing inside. When this guy at a hundred miles an hour throws at your head inside, that's a problem. Something's got to be done, okay? The first—I mean, I, I don't—and and I saw Swisher. I was watching Swisher after the first one, and and Swisher, I didn't think did anything out of the ordinary, other than just kind of smile, like, "Holy cow, boy, that thing went got over my head quick," and and that was pretty much it. But then the second one came at his ear, and I was really surprised that he even got out of the way. The the third one that you brought up about his dribble Cabrera, well, then why didn't he throw a Cabrera? Cabrera was the first guy up in the inning. Well, he didn't want to put the tying run on first base, uh, is, is the way it was explained to me. But I, I'm not buying any of that necessarily. Uh, I think he wanted to come inside the Swisher. And if I had to guess of what it was, it was a combination, I'm coming inside, and number two, uh, Swisher... You know, probably what I saw on TV was he was kind of grinning at Chapman, and maybe it just ticked Chapman off, and he, he wanted to come inside anyway and got, get him off the plate. But the thing I liked about Swisher is on that next pitch, he almost hit the ball out of the ballpark. He smacked that thing, and, you know, that, that gave me a lot of respect for him because he wasn't backing off, and he put a great swing on one, and he had he hit that ball out of the ballpark, that would have been something. 
Well, yeah, it, it, and, and actually, when he first hit it, I, I did think it was gone. I did too. Um, but you know what? I, I gotta, I gotta say, yeah. You know, I've got no problems with Chapman throwing inside, like I said before, and I, I appreciate the way Swisher handled the situation because once he flew out, he just rounded first base, ran right by the mound. They had their say with each other, and it was over and done with. After the game, like I said, I wanted to get the sound bite of what Swisher was talking about afterwards. What and, did he and say? He just said. He, basically that he's only been up against him once, and that was last year with the Yankees, and he grounded out to short or third. He couldn't remember which, but he said he doesn't remember any altercation whatsoever between him and Chapman. And, of course, somebody said, well, you know, can you speak Spanish? And, and Swisher says, well, my wife is Cuban. And then somebody else came back with, well, you know, that's probably why Chapman was upset because you're married to a Cuban girl and Swisher just threw his hands up in the air and said, oh, come on, and and turned around and walked away. You know, Swisher's always got that smile on his face. That was one of the things that the Cleveland media were getting upset at him last week for was because he's too up. They think he needed to turn down an interview with somebody every once in a while. And then when his wife had the baby last week and he had to miss a couple of games, they were all ticked off at him because he missed a couple of games because his wife had a baby. Now, <laughs> if this isn't Travis Hafner where his wife had a 10-pound baby and Travis lifts the kid and has a back injury and can't play the rest of the year. At least Swisher came back to the ballpark and started playing baseball again. But what surprised me the most about this whole incident, Mark, was the carryover from yesterday in Chicago when Cueto threw over the head of David DeJesus, the Cubs outfielder, and then Matt Garza came out after the game and and really kind of threw Cueto under the bus, calling calling him, I guess he called him uh, a gutless. Uh, Dusty Baker him. came to his his defense. But, I mean, the umpires never even gave a warning on anything. That's what Chapman did today, and based upon what happened yesterday, you would have think that they'd have done something. Well, that first of all, the game was in Cincinnati yesterday, and I saw that, and that wasn't that wasn't a purpose pitch. I mean, he, he, he one got away from him; wasn't even that close. It wasn't like today, where you know, if if, if Swisher doesn't get out of the way, he's in intensive care tonight. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> that kind of pitch, and uh, what what. Uh, Garza said was he was immature. Well, Johnny Cueto is a pretty tough dude. I mean, if you see, he's he's pretty well put together. I wouldn't mess with him. But Baker said, let him go into a room and fight it out. That's what we used to do. And there's probably something to that. You know, Garza has been on the on the DL all year, and he comes back and and starts making comments about an opposing pitcher like that. Uh, th that was pretty weak. Uh, yeah, I, I thought I think you're right. Swisher handled this thing with class today, on and off the field, and I just don't. I'm sure I'll hear some more. I may have a, some updates for you next week. There'll be a lot of stuff coming out of the Cincinnati papers and on talk shows about what's happening. But before the game today, or was it? I think it could have been yesterday actually. Uh, they were talking about the fact that he's given up some home runs this year. Uh, Chapman has because the hitters are digging in on him. He 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 he's afraid to come inside, and so they're just digging in and swinging as hard as they can at the fastball. Well, I bet they don't do that from now on if they know he's coming inside like that. So I I, I have a tendency to think that's what happened. But he, believe me, Chapman has hit the backstop more than once this year, and it's because his control isn't great sometimes. Well, believe me, I, I do not believe that umpires should warn pitchers. I, I really don't. Don't get me wrong on this. I, I think this situation was handled correctly. I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether I should think that tomorrow night the Indians will retaliate in some way, form, or fashion, or if they will wait until Wednesday when they're back in Cleveland and then they'll do something. Uh, but I've got a feeling that tomorrow night before the game, if, if the talk shows really start plugging this thing up and, and talking it up and everything, that the umpires are going to give a warning to both teams before the game. I don't think that's right, but I think they could do it. 
Yeah, I believe you're right. And, you know, they were talking after the game today about that issue. Are the Indians going to retaliate and, and all that stuff? And I'm not sure which announcer said it, but they said that the Reds have six guys or seven guys on that roster that throw 95 and above, not just Chapman. You got Broxton, you got Cueto, you got Latos, uh, Hoover. Uh, you got some guys who can get up there in a hurry. So I'm not sure that's the right bullpen or right pitching staff to start messing around with. And, you know, you're talking about some pretty dangerous stuff. I mean, you know what? If, if you get hit in the butt or the leg or the arm or something like that, you know, suck it up and go down to first base and shut up. If, you know, if they try to come inside on a Joey Votto and hit him in the head or something like that, uh, you know, th- th- there, w- there would be trouble. So you you don't know, and to make a presumption that he was throwing at him to hurt him is a big leap. And then to have one of your pitchers, an Indian pitcher, go out there and take a shot at uh, Bado or, or, or Phillips or somebody like that, uh, that that could get ugly early. So I hope cooler heads prevail. Now, you know, if, if Chapman did it again or something like that, yeah, uh, drill somebody. But there's a way to drill somebody that doesn't jeopardize their life or their career and still get your point right. across. Right. And, and and one final mark on this, Mark, is, is that I it, when Chapman did it the first time, when he threw the ball, and I really didn't think it was over Swisher's head. I thought it was over the umpire's head. I thought it was right across the plate and over the over the umpire's head. You're, you're right. But I didn't. I didn't think anything about that because he did the same thing on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. That, it was he's, so, done, he's done it probably ten times this year. Yeah, it was so funny because I remember seeing him do it Saturday against the Cubs because there was some girl sitting right behind home plate and that ball went flying into the screen and she jumped a half a mile. <laughs> I think I would have too. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I don't know how these catchers even stand there, <laughs> let alone anybody in the in the stands. But when he did it the first time, okay, so you know it was Nuke Lelouch. Okay, fine. He he hit the backstop. Fine. Okay, it's over. And I think that's what Swisher was thinking. And Swisher's always got a, a, a smile on his face anyway. And then the second one, boy, I'll tell you what, Chapman did knock that smile right off of his face. Yeah, I, I saw the smile. You know, it's funny. I saw the smile looking you know, after the first pitch, and I'm thinking, you know what? There was a time if you did that, you'd get knocked on your butt. And sure enough, the next pitch comes right at his, his coconut. But, you know, I, I don't condone that from Chapman. That you're messing with a guy's life there, literally. And certainly you can put him out for the year, and there have been guys who've never recovered from a headshot like that. So... I just don't believe in this day and age pitchers do that. I think they will come inside and try and, again, hit you on the in the ribs or something like that. But uh, that's different than going after somebody's head. And I, I just don't think Chapman would do that. Well, remember Tony Canigliaro. Absolutely. He was, he was the big one. Lot, you know, basically his career was, was over from that moment on. Well, there were some key moments in this afternoon's ball game, Mark, that I, I want to go over uh, I, Matt Underwood and Rick Manning, the Indians announcers, whom I call Beavis and Butthead, uh, just I don't think they understand baseball, especially Underwood. Rick Manning made a statement today, and I'm going to go ahead and repeat the statement and let you go ahead and just tell me what you think. First of all, let's break it down. Manning said during the broadcast that he thinks that the Reds' batting order, their lineup, is well-balanced. Your thoughts? I think if you look at historical averages, yeah, it's well balanced. Uh, the problem is you've got Frazier hitting 238 and you've got Cozart hitting 232. You've got a lot of strikeouts in that lineup. And if they had just one more bat, I would tend to agree with that statement. That would be well balanced. But uh, they don't have that extra bat. They don't have anybody to scare uh, opposing pitchers. Or can you imagine if Joey Votto had, you know, Brandon Phillips has, has done done a great job this year, but he's not a true number four hitter. He's a number two hitter. And he's picked up a lot of RBIs because Chu and, and Votto are always on base. But imagine having a legitimate number four hitter hitting behind Votto. That, that would be scary. And that's what you need in left field, and that's what the Reds don't have. So I, I have said from day one, 
I said it in spring training. I'm going to say it until they do something about it. This team will lose this year because of offense. and They will not lose because of defense or starting pitching or relief pitching. If they do not win the division or the pennant or the World Series, it's going to be because of their offense. Okay, second thing Manning said today. The red starting pitching is great, but their bullpen is suspect. <laughs> I don't know who he's comparing it against. Uh, I, I know about a week ago they were number two or number three in combined ERA of their bullpen, and uh, they, they have been, you know, that, that's not been the Reds' problem. They've blown a couple saves this year like everybody does. But overall, when you get into the seventh or eighth inning and you get a lead, uh, the Reds win. I mean, look at their winning percentage. They're just not losing a lot of games anyway. So that that is a kind of a foolish statement because the statistics will verify that the Reds' bullpen is one of the better ones in baseball. And their starting rotation has been absolutely unconscious. And it's it's the irony of all this. You and I have been talking here for the last month and a half ever since Sindrani came up and replaced Cueto. In his last eight starts, Mike Leak has a combined ERA of 1.44 or 1.43. Uh, he's been unbelievably good, and he's the number five starter. And and tomorrow, uh, I think the Indians have to face what Matt Latos I think throws tomorrow. So they're going to have their hands full this 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 week against the Reds. When today they face the number five starter, and he gives up what uh, four hits. So uh, uh, he, Reds have a pretty deep starting rotation. Oh, definitely. I I don't think that that that's. Not even a questionable fact there. But then again, we're talking about the tribe announcers. Okay. Mike Leake, and i got to give you Baldo Jimenez credit. I thought he pitched outstanding. He made the one mistake to Shinsu Chu in the first inning and then gave up the run in in the uh, fourth or fifth inning that put the uh, the Reds up 2-1. to one. But I thought you, Baldo, pitched a very good ball game. That's the sixth outing in the last seven that he's had that has been an outstanding outing. But Mike Leake in the seventh inning uh, came up with two outs and a runner in scoring position, and he grounded out to shortstop on a very good play by by uh, Azdrubal Cabrera. There was a lot of talk, especially by the Indians announcers, of course, that Dusty Baker should have pinch hit for Mike Leake in that situation and brought Broxton in. In hindsight, do you think Dusty made the right decision there, Mark? Did he did he give him a chance to go out there and finish the game? Of course. He hadn't given up an earned run. He'd only given up, what, three or four hits. Uh, and don't forget, he's a lifetime, I think, 280 or 290 hitter. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to bring anybody off the Reds' bench. It's going to be a better – in fact, in many cases – this year, it's interesting. There have been situations like this where he will let Leak bat and then take him out of the game because he's better – offensively or as good as you could get off the bench. I mean, this guy was an All-American shortstop, don't forget, and he's a good hitter, not just a good hitter for a pitcher. He's a good hitter. And he hadn't given up an earned run. His pitch count was down. Uh, I I don't know what the issue would be. I'd throw him back out there. Uh, He's a young guy, and he hadn't even thrown uh, 90 pitches by that time. But then he gives up the home run to Jason Giambi in the eighth inning. Of course, that opens up the the avenue for the second guessers at the time it tied the game at two to two, and then he brings Broxton in. Is, is that a? I mean, you, you kind of explained it there, but that that's a move that he's made before. Then he's made it before, and don't forget the Reds' number one uh, left-hander out of the bullpen, uh, Sean Marshall, was on the DL for the second time. Now, had they brought in Giambi to face Leak, and they had Marshall available, I think they'd have brought Marshall in. In fact, I, I'm quite certain they would have. But again, the Reds have, have been operating with a depleted bullpen. Uh, this is the second time Marshall's been on the DL, and he started the season uh, not on the DL, but he started hurt. And they didn't pitch him the first four or five games. I'm afraid that he's going to require surgery, and the Reds are not going to have him all year. And if that's the case, uh, that's probably going to be an opportunity for Singrani to come in and work out of the bullpen. Yeah, because the only lefty I think they've got coming out of the bullpen right now is Manny Parra, isn't it? Yeah, and he he doesn't have it. He, he he's not uh, he's not the answer. So the the Reds are going to have to you know dig deep again. But 
you know, with all the grief Dusty Baker gets from people, including, I guess, these announcers in Cleveland, uh, again, look at where the Reds are and look how they have been without many of their starting pe- starting players already this year. And they're still in second place and have a, a pretty good hold on the uh, wild card spot, uh, the number one wild card spot in the National League. Well, you've got to keep in mind, Mark, not you, but I mean all the, the the critics in Cleveland. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been telling you all year, the media in Cleveland is nuts. Uh, they, they say that it's a Browns town. That's only because the media won't talk about the Indians. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that they have spent the last two days just raking Terry Francona over the coals for, first of all, leaving Chris Perez in a ball game yesterday afternoon without having anybody warming up in the bullpen, and now Chris Perez is on the DL with a sore shoulder. And, and I, I even brought up the fact last week that I think Chris Perez has been throwing with a sore shoulder, and now it turns out that, yeah, he, he probably is and, and does need some rest on it to, before he comes back. Secondly, uh, they wanted to get involved because this afternoon they felt that Terry Francona made a lot of bonehead moves, especially by bringing in Hagedon and not walking Votto and facing Phillips. I thought it was the right move to go up against Votto. I just thought Hagedon made a poor pitch to Votto on the home run. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and we talked just a few minutes ago. I mean, what's your alternative? You're going to walk Votto and face the number one RBI guy in the league with a, with a runner at third base and one out. Brandon Phillips would have brought that guy in. I can, I can guarantee you. He, he may not have hit a home run. In fact, he probably wouldn't have. But he would have brought that runner in from third base one way or the other. So it, it's it, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. And the only advantage of walking Votto is that Brandon Phillips does hit into a lot of double plays. But he's facing a left-hander. You know, you keep forgetting that the lefty-on-lefty matchup of Hagedon against Votto certainly would favor the Indians, you would think, against most left-handed hitters. But that's not Joey Votto. I mean, I wish young hitters would study Votto and look what he does with two strikes. He chokes up. He goes to left field. He can take the ball out in left field easily. And how are you going to pitch him? I mean, what, what are you going to do? And he knows with a runner on third that Hagedon is not going to throw a breaking ball. He, you know, he threw one earlier in the count. And Santana made a good stop to keep it from being a wild pitch. So you're Joey Votto. You're sitting there. You know you're going to get a fastball. You know it's going to be in the outside corner. And that's exactly what he got. And I, I, at that point in the game, I thought the Reds were going to win the game. I, I didn't think there's any way that the Indians were going to move, you know, move Votto off the plate and, and get him out. But I'd like to have you comment about Imanez um, because uh, I thought that he – pitched like he did in Colorado, but I was really surprised by the number of breaking balls he throws. And it, it, did you notice that today, or has that been his M.O. all this year? That, that's been his M.O. all year. They, they've managed to shrink his pitch selection from nine down to five. Uh, and I don't know how they've done it, but they've done it. Um, Maniacta was never able to do that, but they've got him concentrating, and they've got his delivery as compact, I think, as you're ever going to get that delivery that he has compact. Um, but, yeah, he does throw a lot of breaking pitches. He falls in love with that fork ball, and he loves to throw the fork ball on a 3-2 count. But I thought today he had he had command of his pitches. He made the one mistake to Shinsuchu. Uh, you, you know, the fact is, is the double by Cozart, I believe it was in the fifth inning, fifth or sixth inning, and he ended up coming around on Brandon Phillips' sacrifice fly. My gosh, Mark, that's as close to <laughs> I don't know if you saw it, but, boy, he that was about fair by about a quarter of an inch. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I was, I was looking at uh, Imanez's throw today, and he, uh, that Cozart double was one of the few times anybody pulled him. He was he was really tough on the outside corner, but what surprises me is when you look at his statistics, he still has a 5.57 ERA. 
And I don't know if he just pitched well today against the Reds. You know, it was a sold out, and he was pumped, and, and Memorial Day and all that stuff. But he looked like a much better pitcher today than a 5.57 ERA. Well, he is. He is, Mark. And, and quite honestly, the problem with the 5.57 ERA happened in his first four starts. Since then, they've got him shrunk down. Now, two starts ago, he had a tough time, and that was against the Tigers. And, and granted, everybody's going to have a tough time, but he pitched five innings, and he gave up five runs. Okay. But he still had the Indians in the ballgame. I will say this about it. With the exception of the first three starts that he had this year, every game that he's pitched for the Indians, they've either won or he's left with the lead. And that is all you can ask for from a starting pitcher. Yeah, exactly. They keep you in the game. And uh, uh, what's his what's his win loss record? Uh, right now, I, I'm going to have to look it up, but I know it's it's not great. Um, let me let me take a look at it here, and, and I'll I'll let you know. But uh, he's like three and four, three and three and three, something of that nature. It's interesting. If you look at his line today, seven innings pitched, four hits, two runs, two earned runs, four base on balls, six strikeouts, and he gave up a home run. Uh, but, uh, you know, Chu in that ballpark, he's tough to pitch to. And it's, it's funny, he it left that ball out over the middle of the plate, and that was the last pitch that Imanez did that. I mean, he, he was tough today. And uh, what scares me about the Indians in a four-game series is the Reds are going to see a lot of their – they're good guys, and uh, you know you've got some really deep pitching, and this, this is an exciting, an exciting time for this uh, this four game series because both teams are playing well. These games mean something, and the Indians are in a rough spot right now. They've, they've lost a few games in a row, but they have the kind of pitching that I just don't think they're going to be faced with a long losing streak this year. Their starting pitching is just too tough. Okay, overall, Jimenez's record is 3-3 three and three with the 5.57 ERA. However, in the last 30 games, he is 3-1 and one with a 3.58 ERA. That's in his last five outings. And he, he's really done a good job as far as his strikeouts to walks are concerned. He struck out 32 in his last five games and only walked 11. And that's the big thing with him, Mark. Yeah, and, and that's... You know, those kinds of, of splits, you know, the, the not the win-loss record, but the numbers behind the numbers, that's why the Indians went out and got that guy. And he, I, I look at him pitching in Great American Ballpark or, or the home park in Cleveland, and even in Colorado where, you know, it's a hitter-friendly ballpark, I think that guy would be lights out uh, in, a, in a place like Oakland's Stadium or in San Francisco or any of these uh, West Coast teams like in San Diego or Arizona where they have these big outfields, boy, he would be really, really tough. But he's been, you know, he's had to face hitters in Colorado and Cleveland, and those are those are hitter-friendly ballparks. Well, I've got a question to ask you that came across Twitter this afternoon from Trent Rosencrantz about a move that the Reds were interested in making, and we're going to talk about that. I'm going to ask you what you think of it. We're going to do that right after this timeout. Tragic news out of Cincinnati. It's been confirmed only minutes ago that Cincinnati player Dylan Michael, three-time most valuable player and a member of three World Series championship teams, was among those killed in a plane crash in southern Kentucky last night. Michael was on his way to Atlanta to begin a five-year prison sentence for drug use and tax evasion charges. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth. Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also pick up your copy right here at ultimatesportstalk.com. Just look up in the upper right-hand corner and click on it and go ahead and order your book. Mark Trent Rosencrantz, who's been our guest, he's one of the writers for the Cincinnati Inquirer, had an interesting thought this afternoon that evidently the Reds toyed with a couple of weeks ago when uh, Hannigan was coming off the DL. They were thinking of putting... Joey Votto in left field, Hannigan at first base, and starting Mezzarocco behind the plate. What do you think of that? You mean for one game? No, as as a move until Ludwig came back. Nah. I think that's absurd. Uh, the Reds have plenty of 
left fielders who can go out there and at least catch the ball. You're not going to take an all-star first baseman who hasn't played left field in ever and put him in left field and and put a <laughs> um, somebody who's never played first base at first base. Uh, that I don't think Trent really was serious about that. That's that's move makes no sense at all. So uh, again, I don't know how he came up with that idea, but I. <laughs> I think that Dusty Baker would be the last guy on the planet to do something like that. Uh, Joey Votto is simply too valuable. Now, you know, if you if you had a stud first baseman to replace Votto, a guy who's going to hit 300 and drive in 100 runs, but he can only play first base like Yonder Alonso, if they didn't do it for him, they're sure not going to do it for somebody who's never played first base before. So I don't think much well, that, that. that's yeah that that's why it seemed rather strange to me but I I thought I would bring it up but the Indians have got their problems not only is their closer Chris Perez who blew the save on Sunday on the 15 day DL with shoulder stiffness and it it could be something more severe than just normal stiffness Brett Myers was supposed to make a rehab start this weekend coming back from the DL. But the elbow problems reoccurred when he was warming up, and that shut him down. And also, not only do they have the pitching problems going to the DL, but in a 20, the next 25 games, right now the Indians are in a 25-game stretch mark where they're playing not only the Red Sox, whom they played over the weekend, but then after the Reds this week, they've got Tampa Bay, the Yankees, the Nationals, the Tigers, the Rangers, and the Royals. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> that's not this good. This is not going to be fun. Yeah, that's that will that'll test your your metal very quickly, but <clears throat> I know they've lost what uh, 5 out of 6 or 6 out of 7 at this point. Uh they've lost to some pretty good ball clubs and it's not that they can afford to lose, but you know, this team isn't going to go anywhere. Their pitching's too good and I they're running into a tough spot. The Reds ran into a tough spot earlier in the year. And uh, what you have to be careful of is in a situation like when you play the Reds right now, uh, the Reds are a tough team to beat. Now, you can beat them, but you have to overcome their starting pitching. And what what I'm seeing, you know, the weakness that, and you probably know better than I, it appears from an outsider's perspective, that that team is still – challenged offensively and I think there's a lot of holes in the lineup with the Indians and I'd be surprised I think they need as much upgrading offensively and maybe more than the Reds do so I I don't know how you see it but I see a lot of strikeouts with Reynolds and Stubbs and um, I know Santana got up to a pretty good start I don't know what he's doing right now but uh, you know that that team has some challenges offensively well, it's a team that was built around striking out a lot. It, it was. And they knew coming into the season that they would strike out a lot. Now, in Drew Stubbs' uh, defense, he's cut down on the strikeouts over the last month. I, I've got to give the guy credit. I I thought he's been playing some, some pretty good baseball here in the last month of the season, especially at the plate. Uh, as far as Reynolds is concerned, Reynolds has had 12 home runs now for the last two weeks. Uh, he hasn't hit anything out of the ballpark. Now, he did have a pretty good weekend series against Boston, but he needs to get back into the power category. Nick Swisher's Nick Swisher. You've got what you've got with him. But the problem that they have is they're, they're playing as Drupal Cabrera, and they're batting him in that third spot. I really don't think that's a good position for him. I like Michael Brantley in the third spot in the batting order. But... They're 27 and 23 right now. They have lost six of their last seven. I'm not going to complain because we're not even at the end of May yet, Mark. And what I think they have to be is they have to be over these next few ball games that they've got, the next 20 ball games that they have against these types of teams. I think they've got to be three or four games above 500 when they come out of it. And if they do, I think they're going to be in fine shape. If they go right down the chute. Then they've got problems. You know, just a couple comments about today's game. Uh, I think Santana today was the reason they lost that game. Uh, if I you agree. remember, 
he had two pass balls, and Drew Stubbs made a he threw a laser from right field uh, that when the Reds scored the tying run on the sacrifice fly. I mean, that, that guy was out by 10 feet if Santana catches the ball. But rather than try to catch it, he swipes at it. And they had the guy at the plate dead to rights. And, uh, you know, people forget what a good arm that um, uh, Stubbs Drew has. Stubbs. Drew Stubbs has. But did you see the play? And I'm thinking about him in center field. But did you see the play Brantley made? I mean, that was a great play against the center field fence. And I'm thinking, oh, born. Uh, I'm sorry, born. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking during the game. I said, man, Cleveland has a really strong defensive team uh, in that outfield. I mean, you, when you have when you have Stubbs in right field because he, he's not as good as your normal center fielder. That's a pretty damn good outfield. Well, I actually like Santana at first base, and I've told you that over the last couple of years. I, I think first base is his best position. I like Jan Gomes. I think this kid is an up-and-coming catcher, the kid they got from Toronto. And when they play him, now he'll probably be in the lineup tomorrow because he's caught McAllister a lot lately. So he'll probably be in the lineup tomorrow with McAllister going up against Latos. Um, I think he'll be he'll be the catcher. You'll probably see uh, Swisher out in right field, and you'll see Santana at first base. Um, where they're hurting is that they had to put – Reynolds at third base because Chisenhall just did not hit the ball. Now, he started to show some signs of coming out of it down in Columbus, and if he does, then they can put Santana back at first base. They can move Swisher out to left field, or out to right field, I'm sorry, keep Reynolds at DH and move Chisenhall back to third. But that's where they kind of ran into a problem with that. But that's where they stand right now, I agree with you. I think they do have a couple of holes in that lineup. I, I think it's nothing that they can't get around. I mean, every, every team has got some holes in their lineup the way it is, except for maybe the Angels, and look where they're at, still 10 games out. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. You can also you can write us in, email us some questions, or tweet us at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or at alt. Sports talk. Let's take a look at some of the questions that we've got this week, Mark. Uh, let's see. Jake says that he's really excited about the series coming up between the Reds and the Indians. He wants to know who we think are the most influential player is for each team in this series. Well, I think today's game pretty much answers that question for the Reds. Uh, you know, Joey Votto is is more than just the best player on the Cincinnati Reds. He's, he's probably the best player in the National League. So uh, that he, he clearly is the guy you have to go through to beat the Reds, and uh, I'm not sure that a lot of teams have it that black and white. I kind of think that the most influential player for the Indians in this series is Michael Bourne. You saw what he could do defensively today. Uh, he did. He got on base once, but he really didn't have an opportunity to steal a base, and I think he's the one that has to set the table for Kipnis, Cabrera, and Swisher. And if he can get on base, he can put some pressure on the Reds' pitching staff, and they're going to have to be concerned about him. But, hey, the Reds know how to pitch against Bourne. They've done it over the last few years on a consistent basis. So let's let's see what happens there. Here's one. Uh, Caleb says that he wants to know who would hurt more losing their closer. The Reds now since, or the Indians now since Perez has gone down, or the Reds? Uh, yeah, the Reds, before they decided to put Chapman back in the bullpen, they, they had Broxton ticketed to be the closer. So I, I think the Reds could lose Chapman. You don't, obviously, you don't want to lose a guy like that. I don't think it would be devastating to them. Uh, they, they have a solid bullpen. And I, I think Broxton could step into the role and, and you know, close uh, for any number of teams in baseball. So I, I don't think the Reds would be hurt that badly by I'm, – I'm overstating it. They'd be hurt, but they have somebody to step in and close instead of Chapman. Well, I think the Indians, what they're going to do with Perez out now is they're going to move Vinny Pistano into that closer's role. I think they've got another kid – that came up in Cody Allen. Cody Allen has actually saved the game this year, and he came in and did it in in rather dominant fashion 
against Boston earlier this year. I think he could probably handle the role. Now, is he going to be able to handle it mentally? I don't know. That's always been the question about Pistano is can he handle it mentally? We're going to have a chance to find out over the next two weeks with Perez out, maybe even longer. Cedric writes in and said, hey, the Reds won game one. What are our predictions for the rest of this series? Well, when when you win game one, you have a chance to sweep. <laughs> and at worst, you take two out of three, and then you've won three out of four. So I think the Reds have a chance to win three out of four. Uh, I, I like their chances with Lados tomorrow. Um, you know, Masterson's the guy that scares me, and I guess he's going to be pitching in game three or four. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, if the Reds would have lost today, uh, I would have said, you know, hope for the sweep or hope for a split. And if you win the first one, go for three out of four. Well, I, I'll be happy right now with three out of four on the Indian side, but realistically I, I would I would take a split right now. I, I think the Indians have got a shot tomorrow night. I know Latos is going, and he's been tough lately, but so is McAllister. That ought to be a great pitching matchup between those two. Then Wednesday night, you've got Masterson going for the Indians against Bronson Arroyo. And then on in Cleveland on Thursday night, you have Homer Bailey going against Scott Casimir. And I, I really think Mark Casimir is the wild card in the Indians' rotation. I like the way this guy has thrown the ball. Now, he hasn't gone past the sixth inning in any start. Then you got to remember, this guy hasn't been in the major leagues for the last two years so he's got to build up his stamina build up his arm strength and i think going five or six innings for him until after the all-star break is just enough for him let's see if we got any we got a couple more questions here okay uh carrie asks us what's your favorite part about this year's teams he likes how the indians can hit a home run at any time and for the reds he likes how their pitching is possibly the best in all of Major League Baseball. You know what, Mark? Arguably, Kerry might be right. The Reds may have the best pitching in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah, I think if you go <clears throat> top to bottom, if you go bullpen and starting pitching, I'm not sure I would trade the staff the Reds have for any staff in baseball. I can't think of one that I would want in return, uh, top to bottom. I mean, the Cardinals might have a little better starting pitching, but it's not even close in the bullpen. And if you look around the league, uh, you know who else would you pick as a better top to bottom twelve man rotate twelve man pitching staff? So uh, that is clearly the Reds' strong point this year, and I hope their offense doesn't come back and and, and bite them in the butt uh, and, and and keep them out of the playoffs this year. Well, Todd asks us, here's the million dollar question. I haven't heard you guys answer yet. If the Reds play the Giants in the playoffs again this season, who wins that series? <laughs> you know, I, I, not that I don't care, but if I could be guaranteed the Reds are going to be back in the playoffs again, I'll take their chances. I, I, I said it last year. I said it before and after the series. I think the Reds last year were a better team than the Giants. They just fell apart. And, and you know, you lose your number one starter in the first inning of the playoffs, you know, how many teams can, can overcome that? And they had Cueto pitching that last game, they would have won. Hands down, in my opinion. So I think the Reds, I don't think they're afraid of the Giants, and if they had to play a seven-game series to get into the, to the playoffs against the Giants, they'd take their chances, and I think they'd win. Well, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's a doubt that the Reds win that series if Cueto is available. And the Giants don't go on to win their second World Series in three years. I, I think you see a Reds-Detroit series, and the series probably would have been a little bit different. We, we'll never know. But, yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to go on record as saying if the Reds and the Giants face off again this year, the Reds win. I agree. Uh, that is all of the questions that we've got tonight for our Ask Us segment. Don't forget, you can send them in to us at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can tweet them in at Alt Sports Talk, Alt Sports Talk, or OHBB co-host. Feel free to send them in to any one of those addresses, and we'll be glad to read them out next week. Mark, I'll tell you what, what do you think is going to be the most important thing over the next three games between the Reds and the Indians? 
I think it'll be the pitching. Uh, whatever team gets the best starting pitching uh, is going to win. I, I think the if it gets into the bullpen, uh, I think the, the the Indians right now are shorthanded in the bullpen. If the Reds can get through that Cleveland starting rotation and reach the bullpen, I think they have a real good chance to win at least two of the next three games. Uh, but, you know, when you have Masterson, who's been throwing so well, I saw his last outing, he looks awfully tough. And I hope the Reds can win one more game uh, just to assure themselves of a split. And I, I guess if you're an Ohio fan and you root for both Reds and Indians, that's what you want. You want a split. Because if the Reds were to sweep Cleveland at this point, uh, that would be a tough, tough medicine for Cleveland. Why is that such an easy ballpark, supposedly such an easy ballpark to hit a home run in? Well, it's it's a combination of the wind that blows in, in Cincinnati and, you know, it's the short, the, the, the alleys are short. Uh, it's still four, I think it's 404 to center field, which is kind of standard, but the, the, the ball flies out there. Uh, the wind, the internal wind of the stadium pushes the ball out there. So you get a ball airborne out there, uh, you have a chance to hit it out. Uh, and the, <laughs> the Reds, uh, they're, they're slowly getting their home run swing back. You know, Bruce and Votto started off, they had one home run between them in April, and now they're they're hitting the ball well. But uh, that ballpark is certainly a hitter's park. And, uh, you know, the Cleveland ballpark is, is, is com- I guess, comparatively a hitter's ballpark in the American League. Yeah, I don't think it's quite as easy to hit one out in Cleveland as it is in in Cincinnati, but I, I'm just you know the, the announcers earlier today said, of course, Beavis and Butthead said that uh, sometimes somebody is going to hit a broken bat home run in Great American Ballpark, and I thought that that's going to be quite a feat. Nonetheless, why is it so easy to hit a home run in that ballpark? And I wanted to pose that question to you here tonight, so I did. <laughs> well, I, th- I think but, I had the answer, but the, I've heard it said before that. Uh, the, the prevailing wind of that stadium, the way it swirls around, it pushes everything out the the front door and center in center and left center field. So um, I think that's part of the reason. I also want to let you know the Dusty Baker toothpick watch was on Saturday afternoon against the Cubs, and in the last three innings of that ball game, Mark, he did not have the toothpick again. Well, maybe he's on a diet. Maybe that's the well. Maybe- he had the toothpick. Today, I, did, I didn't notice. Thanks. <laughs> he was he was back to the toothpick. I'll tell you what. I think he he gets those specially made because I saw him. He he takes them out of the wrapper. He's so particular in the way that he takes that toothpick out and and places it right in between his back teeth so that it sticks there. And, and then he takes that wrapper and he doesn't throw it away. He just puts it right in his pocket of his of the coat that he's wearing that day. <laughs> well, I, I hope he's not somebody who saves toothpicks. That's like saving dental floss, you know? <laughs> well, Mark, hey, we got three more games in this big series. One more in Cincinnati. Then they come back up to Cleveland and play two more. And as I said, tomorrow night it's McAllister against Latos, And then Arroyo versus Masterson on Wednesday night. And then Thursday night... It's Bailey against Casimir. After that, what do the Reds have coming up this weekend? They got Pittsburgh coming up over the weekend, and that that should be oh a very uh, you know exciting series. And you got Johnny Cueto starting against them Friday night, and he's owned the Pirates. So hopefully the Reds can get uh, off on the right foot and uh, you know see their way to uh, winning two or three games in Cleveland, and then go up to Pittsburgh and win two or three up there as well. Well, it's a long season. The Indians have Tampa Bay this weekend after they get rid of the Reds and get them off the off the schedule for the year. They've got Tampa Bay coming up this weekend. They go down to Florida. But like I said, Mark, hey, the Reds have won 13 of their last 15. They're going through a streak like the Indians just got done. The Indians have lost six of their last seven. But it's a long season, and we haven't even hit June yet. Well, it's going to be exciting. And I, I, if I were a Cleveland fan, I wouldn't get too upset at this point. Uh, that team's a solid team, and, and with that kind of pitching, you're going to be you're going to be in it for the rest of the year, absent uh, you know some injuries. And 
that either the bullpen uh, does concern me a bit, but I, I think the Indians are in pretty good shape. Well, I think the Reds are in pretty good shape too, and you can stay up to date as to what happens with both teams just by sticking with us every Monday night at 9 o'clock here on Ohio Baseball Weekly. Mark, until next Monday night, we'll talk to you then. Have a good one, Dave. You too. Have a good week. Our thanks to you for listening tonight, and of course, be ready for the next three games, the Reds against the Indians. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, and coming up this Thursday night, the BBA Baseball Talk Show. I'll host that right here on Ultimate Sports Talk. Until then, thanks for joining us tonight, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Good night, everybody.